Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Anupa Mystery. You're listening to another episode of Burnout, a podcast featuring short conversations about creative sustainability with working artists from Toronto and beyond. Some still don't know what to do. aka Astra, a Polaris Prize shortlisted artist from Toronto, now based in London. On May 1st, Katie will release her fourth record as Astra. It's called Hyrudin, and as we'll get into in the conversation, it's a creepy but fascinating fact from the science world that Katie borrows to make a metaphor about toxic relationships and the way that we live today. I met up with Katie at the tail end of last summer when she was in town to shoot the music videos for Risk It and Anyways with the acclaimed director Jasmine Mozafari. We had a really fascinating conversation about the title of her new album, about what it means to be signed to an independent label for 10 years, and the importance of reflecting on your body of work. I'm really grateful to Katie for taking the time. I'm really excited for her new album, and I really hope you like this conversation. I made this Google map um, that I call restaurants of the world where I just like research the restaurants of the world and put it on this Google map. So when I'm on tour and I'm in a city, I just look at the map and like, okay, here's the restaurants. But like for a while, it was my job. Like I was just working on this map every day for hours. Oh my like, God. And I loved it. It was like so fun for me. It's it's kind of aspirational, right? Yeah. You're like, when I'm on tour, like this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. My name is Katie. And I have a project called Austra. I guess I should say I'm a musician. We're here at your place in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and your phone number is a 917 yeah. number, which is a New York number. <laughs> yes. And uh, I initially reached out because I was going to be in London, and I thought you were living in London. <laughs> so where do you live, Katie? <laughs> um, I know, it's confusing. I live mostly in London because my girlfriend lives there and I kind of just moved in with her but I still spend quite a bit of time in Toronto like three or four months out of the year when I was in like my later teen years I exactly I started this band with Emma McKenna called Galaxy which was sort of my first endeavor outside of classical music I guess so that was like a really sort of important step um and at the same time That's when I actually started making electronic music, but just I went about it from like a really backwards way. Like I I wasn't listening to like dance music or techno or anything like even rhythm based remotely. I just like wanted to have access to mostly like orchestral samples. So Mm -hmm. I had this like techno rig or whatever and just started making electronic music. Like I would do soundtracks for my friends that were dancers or performance artists and that's really how I started doing solo music at all. And then Astra is, I think people primarily identify you with the project, mm-hmm. but it is a band. You're like the permanent member, I suppose. Well, actually, um, officially, Astra is a solo project. Okay. I didn't really feel like there was 
an archetype that I could kind of like model or emulate for what I was doing. And so I felt like the way that people could understand the project was if I presented it as a band before like Grimes and Twigs and like all of this stuff. And there wasn't really like like a female producer that wasn't like a pop star in the world. I just didn't see how that would be like a thing that people would get. And even, you know, when I was performing as Katie Stelmanis, nobody understood what it was or what it was supposed to be. And then within six months, that archetype like did really exist very strongly. And I've sort of been battling with that like band identification since then. But <laughs> officially now, Austria is a solo project. I guess it would have been almost almost a decade ago now mm -hmm. when you were kind of probably putting together the, the songs that would make up the first Austria record. What were you thinking about when you were putting those first that first record together? I mean, I guess that first record was kind of a culmination of like five years of work and mm. five years of just kind of like hustling. You know, I think when you're just starting out, you're so naive that it kind of makes you just like push forward in ways that maybe at this point in my life, I wouldn't have sort of like the courage to do. How old were you about around back then? Like 22-ish yeah. kind of thing. and Very brave. Yeah. 20s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would just like, I would just email people, like email people all over the world and be like, hi, I'm this artist. I want to play a show or like, here's my music. Check it out. Like email lawyers and just email like everyone in the music industry. Wow. Do you remember what your goal was with Usher then? Like what, what felt like the biggest, coolest thing that could happen? Um, I mean, I guess getting signed to a record label. Like when I was in Galaxy, I remember Emma and I sent our demos to Kill Rockstars when we were like 19 or 20. And I literally checked my mailbox because I thought I'd have a record contract in the mail from them. <laughs> like I thought that's how it worked. Like there was no other communication. Just like, this is great. Here's a contract. Let's go. And of course, a contract never showed up in the mail. Um, but it's just like, I wasn't that much less naive when I did eventually sign a record deal. It was just like years and years of just like pushing and trying to put myself in situations where the music could be heard. Mm. And then the first Ausher record came out on Domino okay. Records. And you're still with Domino. Yeah, I'm still with Domino. Is it weird that I feel like that's unusual? It is. No, it is kind of unusual. Because it's, 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 that was 2011 that record yeah. came out. It's 2019. Now yeah. you've done, this will now be the fourth record in yeah. 2020. Well, it kind of just is, is it says that's just kind of the late kind of label Domino is. I signed a five record deal, which is super unusual and which anyone's lawyer would probably say it's not the best idea to mm -hmm. sign a five record deal because the, the situation with those record deals is that the label can drop you, but you can't drop them. So if you're not happy with the way things are going, there's not really anything you can do about it. Yeah. But luckily I did end up with a label that I do still have a really good relationship with and I'm happy with so that which is also extremely rare right mm -hmm. is the name of the forthcoming record what the file name is um yeah <laughs> do you want me to say it to yeah it? I don't know how to pronounce it but I, I googled it I didn't know how to pronounce it either and it's pronounced hirudin I'll let you define hirudin <laughs> it's the peptide that leeches secrete into your blood scream blood stream while they're sucking your blood but it's also the reason people used leeches in healing practices because it's the most potent anticoagulant that exists in the natural world um the theme of the record is toxic relationships and so i kind of decided that hirudin 
um, was sort of a good metaphor. But I was thinking about um, the title of your previous record, Future Politics, Mm -hmm. given the fact that like that record had such a weighty theme and, you know, air quotes, politics has kind of always been like a something that's central to your identity as a musician Mm -hmm. as well I wondered if there's like ever a process of revision of like the ideas you're working through Mm -hmm. um, from album to album yeah no definitely I mean with future politics I feel like I had like so much clear like such a clarity of vision when I was making that record I was trying to focus on really kind of like the power of imagination and just the power of the future in general as being something that has limited unlimited possibilities um if you have the power to think something then it can become real Mm -hmm. um and so i was applying this in like a very general sense like to society you know like people need to like just constantly be envisioning something better or something good to Mm -hmm. like help that become and i was Mm -hmm. like neoliberalism sucks but like I think that something's brewing, like something new and awesome is going to happen. And then it was like fascism and it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, and so it was actually really hard to like do a lot of those interviews because like the state of the world was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like being treated as like an expert. And I was like, I actually don't know anything. I definitely like still feel strongly about that place of optimism I was once in. But I think what I was able to do kind of with this record is realize the importance of... um just like personal health and personal ideas and how that also has just as an important role in kind of like shaping larger society with this record I went extremely insular I love that Mm because I mean I think that's the whole reason why I'm even doing this podcast project Mm -hmm. right like so much of my work was uh, external facing and trying to grapple with like big questions and being mad about you know things happening in the various industries that I'm like a part of Mm -hmm. and if I'm going to keep doing this if I'm going to keep um uh not just having these values but like trying to put them into practice I need to take a step back Mm -hmm. and I need to like take care of myself and I I really wonder how other people are taking care of themselves so that they can do this work for their lives yeah and out of all my records i felt like future politics i think connected people with people on a deeper level like the least in a way Mm. and i think that part of that is because like when you are in a period of time of like fascism when people listen to music they're trying to escape and i think political music is super important but at the same time like having something that can just like provide some sort of feeling to another person is also just super important. Was that difficult coming to the realization or understanding that maybe this record that you put some time into wasn't the one that connected with people in the same way that your other records did? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was super difficult. I just came into that record with so much conviction. And so, like, I just felt like I had figured everything out. And then there was just suddenly like all these holes that I was seeing. important in any creative practice to have like creative highs and lows Mm. like you just have to that's just the way the world goes like you have to have bad times and good times um 
the only way I was really able to keep going was just to kind of force myself to do it. Like I would go into the studio and be like, what's the point? This sucks. And then like three weeks in, you'd be like, oh, actually, that's kind of good. And then that would give you like enough of something to like go for a few more weeks of being like, what's the point? But then just like (laughs) still working every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just important to remember that every creative person does have creative highs and lows, like no matter how successful they are. And that is just part of like being a human really do you remember the first time you encountered a creative failure I am much more aware of my creative failures than I am of my creative successes even when my first record come out came out I was like oh it wasn't as big as I wanted it to be you know like I didn't quite get as far as I wanted it to go and I was disappointed but then looking back that record that was such an exciting time and like now in retrospect I'm like very proud of it and very proud of like what I achieved when you're in it it's just really hard to like have any perspective that Mm -hmm. things are going well which is kind of messed up (laughs) I feel like at least as it relates to you the first part of this decade was very like look at all these powerful voices like rising Mm -hmm. up and now we're in this moment that I'm starting to think feels almost like exploitative the way that we consume people. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you experienced the last decade? You're going to have put up four records mm-hmm. within a decade, which is it's a lot of work. Well, I mean, I remember at the beginning of the decade, putting your song in a commercial or something was hugely controversial. And it was something that an artist would like really have to think about and consider, you know, and it can be like a car commercial for $200,000 or it can be like you know just a commercial in general for like $10,000 or something like that but I just think this idea of selling out was still something that people didn't want to go near Mm. and now it's just that's not the case whatsoever there's no choice like we don't have a choice everyone does it everyone has to do it and there's something like kind of depressing about that we're realizing how that has kind of like shaped creative culture. How have you negotiated all of these changes? Um, it's kind of hard to say. I guess I, you know, I probably wouldn't have to think as hard if I somebody was like, hey, do you want to put your song in a commercial? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like now, now I think it's like artists are just like hoping that it'll happen. They're like, please <laughs> put my song in a commercial. You know, when my first record came out, that was when people were starting to like freak out and be like, oh my God, nobody's selling records. So I never really sold records. Mm-hmm. And so people who are like, oh, the music industry, how do we do it these days? I'm like, how did people ever do it? <laughs> like, it's just always hard. Mm-hmm. And I guess now it's just people have to evolve like, very very quickly constantly like things are just changing like year by year um I also kind of wondered how you dealt with um what are we calling it like platform dominance or I don't know newer artists getting like booked to play like a beer company party or whatever the case may be now that is kind of one platform or path to success Mm -hmm. but it it just does feel like get it where you can get it but also like this sucks well yeah I think it's just hard when it's like you know that they're not doing anything else to facilitate any sort of change they're like oh great like we hired a brown person so we're good yeah or like great we put like this girl on the on the DJing (laughs) so like you can't say that we're not feminist but it's like but what else are you doing so you tweeted Mm -hmm. this thing 
what happens when the shitty male gatekeepers don't want to fuck you? You have zero value, no matter how good you are at music, and the chance of actually having a career is reduced accordingly. <laughs> Yikes. So, please elaborate, because I think about this quite often, because I, I don't yeah. think it's limited to music, you know? Oh, definitely not. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just think often in, like, the Me Too stuff, the conversation is always about, like, women being sexualized, women being taken advantage of, women being, like, think that they're they're being given opportunities because of their skills and it's actually because someone wants to fuck them but then it's like there's a lot of women who don't have these like gestures on a daily basis and it's like I've always kind of felt like there's this this whole group of people that are in some ways invisible in music um it's just easier if you can also kind of have like a modeling contract on the side and that's the Mm. same with like many other industries i'm so close to people who work at like record labels now and like i see what they're looking for when they're looking for artists and it's like often there's such a risk in investing in somebody that it's like they just need to check these boxes is this person good is this person mentally stable will this person work really really hard does this person have the right look does this like there's just these boxes that need to be checked in order for them to be worthy of investment like money the people with the money often have like the narrowest idea of like what something or someone needs to be in order to be successful and it's like if those ideas were more widespread then i think like what people chose to invest in would just be so much more interesting Mm -hmm. so how does all of this feed into the new record (laughs) (laughs) who are the leeches Uh, i feel like this is this is obviously the first interview I've done for this record and it's not so much interview as a conversation. Yeah. But I feel like I'm just like, this is all stuff I've been bottling up like for years. It's it's hard because it hasn't come out yet. And so I have ideas of how I think about it now. But like once it goes out into the world, the way it's received is going to affect how I think about it at that point. There's like a number of songs that are kind of about being in this toxic relationship or this negative place and sort of like the chaos that goes along with that. And then there's a few songs that are like, see you later i'm out fuck you kind of thing and then there's a few songs that are much more regenerative mm-hmm. and like sort of about what's on the other side and um one of my favorite songs on the record is this song called messiah which is in my opinion very much about balance and how important that is for like a positive loving relationship totally. you know we're talking about living in this like corporate dystopian world and it's like you just need to find the balance like you need to like figure out how to be able to do what you're doing and be creative and like not go insane and sustain yourself financially you need to buy into this world a little bit but enough so that you still have like feelings of autonomy um has has music refined help you refine some of your ideas about the world like the thing with music as with any creative industry it's like when you're just doing it as a hobby it's like your place that you go to like escape or distract yourself and then it becomes your job as people talk about all the time it's difficult to like be able to love it and appreciate it in the same way with this record I was very conscious of space and like when I first sat down to start writing it I didn't feel like I was in a place to write and I was like this is okay and I'm just gonna not do it and I spent like weeks or months just not working on music and that was like very important and very crucial.
what's it like being a Canadian artist? <laughs> oh, um, well, being a Canadian artist is good in that there's funding opportunities and mm. a lot of other places don't have this. Um, but this is something I talk about quite regularly that can- like the industry in Canada also has quite a ceiling. Um, and I'm sure it's the same in like writing. Well, there's no arts media anymore. Yeah, there's no arts media. And there aren't really, like, record labels either. You know, there aren't, like... And because there's no arts media, there's no, like, music media. I mean, that's not true. There is some. We know know what what there is. If you want to work in music, then the industry here is just so tiny (laughs) compared to other places in the world. Um it's almost like it's not real in a way mm. like a lot of the labels because they're grant funded they're existing not because they're like seeking out the most interesting new artists and like propping up their careers they're existing because they have consistent funding from the canadian government right. or from whoever and i think that affects like the music that gets put out yeah. in a lot of ways you can't depend on the in- the infrastructure that exists here like help you get to where you want to be like i know a lot of people that have left and come back right or like you know like even in my case i got a record deal because i went to south by southwest right and i got signed and i went to south by southwest because i got a grant to go to south by southwest um but nobody in canada cared about what i was doing until i got signed by an international label domino and then suddenly everyone in canada was like oh right <laughs> hey this is like my attempt at a solution Mm -hmm. um here are all of these fascinating people i know who Mm -hmm. don't really get to talk about what's going on with them Mm -hmm. unless they're putting out a record and then it's for a pretty general audience and so they're not really able to delve into their ideas with any Mm -hmm. specificity yeah while anyone can document themselves on instagram Mm -hmm. um but because people aren't being documented in aggregate um i do fear that we're going to perpetuate this cycle of um young people coming up being like well i'm like the first rapper from this place no that's a very good point that's very true we talk about there being a glass ceiling but there's also so much talent and success actually very disproportionate to how big canada is and yeah it's just it's just hard that these systems aren't in place to kind of like give them jobs in toronto Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. One thing that I thought was amazing was after Lido Pimienta won the Polaris mm-hmm. Prize, she like did a bunch of shows and had Sidani on the bill. Mm-hmm. And I guess on the surface, their music seems a bit different. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is like one cool way to like help each other. Yeah, um, that's cre- true. Create platforms. I feel like when I come back to Toronto, I'm like reaching out to the people that I was hanging out with every day like 10 years ago who often kind of have their own lives now in their own communities. But yeah, like, and this this sounds kind of like a, a plug in a way that it shouldn't be, but like with this new record, one of my like main objectives was to reach outside of that community. Mm. And for me, the most like exciting things was I did would just book all these session musicians who I had absolutely no association with, I had, didn't know anybody who even really knew them, just people that I like found online that I thought sounded cool or interesting. And I only did this because I have grant funding. Otherwise, I would have never been able to afford to do something like this. Yeah. But like I just found all these people that I'd never met before. I was like, come in 
and improvise on the tracks and let's see what happens. And it was like a hugely rewarding experience. And I was just like, this needs to just happen more. Working with new people and like working yeah. outside the boundaries of like who you usually work with. Yeah. Um, whether it be like playing shows yeah. or recording. One of the groups I brought in was this improv duo called Cam and Cello. Mm-hmm. And it's this guy, Raphael Weintroth Brown, who plays cello. And he actually lives in Ottawa and he plays with this guy, Shariar. I, I'm blanking on his last name right now, um, but he plays the Kamancha, which is a Kurdish violin. They had never heard the music before. Like on the first play, they started playing and all of us in the control room started literally crying. Like it was so beautiful. Wow. Like Slade. They're on like <laughs> half the record. Um, so Pantayo is like an all-girl Filipino gong punk band. And mm-hmm. so they brought in these gongs and they just set up and they just played on a whole bunch of tracks and I was able to sample out other instruments so that I could like further produce them but also because we were in like a really nice studio they were also able to have those samples for like their shows and stuff because they they do a lot of like live sampling with the gongs cool I feel like you we've been building to this or maybe we've we've kind of touched on it quite Mm -hmm. a bit but I'm wondering if you can kind of sum up you know three years on like what are your thoughts on that individual (laughs) versus like collective i actually was started reading i got um tipped off on it from you actually i saw online that book pleasure activism Mm. i started Mm. reading that and i was really interested in it because i was really inspired by the audrey lord essay about the power of the erotic Mm -hmm. and yeah just talking about like how important it is to be able to like find and recognize your own personal happiness and pleasure and how that is so important for like the greater society. Like if we're all generally healthy, happy beings that feel taken care of and feel comfortable in our own skin, then that'll make us just generally better able to like interact with the rest of the world. Um, Yeah. Not just with people, but with institutions, with like the planet itself. Yeah. I was yeah. really inspired by not just that book, but her first book, which is called Emergent Strategy. And I think really what that taught me or what that kind of reinforced for me is that um, we need to find people who share our morals and not just our like political ideas or our like aesthetic values. Mm-hmm. I think the morals ha- ha- are m- almost more granular mm-hmm. um, and the, the political values, aesthetic values, you know, the things that we like and we don't like. That's just like a little bit more external. And Yeah. And those are more apt to change. Yeah. Really, like political values and aesthetics are constantly evolving and yeah. constantly changing drastically. But they're always like founded in like your core morals. What does your idea of success look like now? <laughs> um. I I honestly cannot answer that question. <laughs> like, I just straight up can't. I think when I was younger and starting out, I was like, all I want is to be able to, like, make a living off of music. And I do make a living off of music. And that should be enough. But most of the time, I don't feel successful. And sometimes people are surprised by that. Sometimes people are not surprised by that. But I needed to get to a place where I was okay with that. It's like once you constantly are thinking about how you're not just like forced to be in this existence, then it makes it just much more bearable and much more enjoyable. Yeah. And so if you make a door, you can walk out the door. Yeah. If you make a door, then you can walk out and like, you don't have to walk out, but just knowing it's there is like kind of makes it a lot easier. 
Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Burnout. These are really weird times and it feels funny putting out this podcast um, while people are fighting to protect our land, fighting to protect our health, fighting to protect their fellow citizens and communities, fighting to protect each other and all of us. And I guess this podcast is my way of sharing that we have so much to fight for. If you haven't already, please rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe to the show while you're at it. It really helps spread the word about the podcast. Please subscribe to my newsletter. It's also called Burnout and you can find it at anupa.substack.com. That's A-N-U-P-A substack.com. You can follow me on Instagram at burnoutpod. The show's theme song is by Lal. It's called Dark Beings. Original music provided by Jamal Padmore. Thank you for listening, and I really appreciate your attention. This episode of Burnout is supported by Factor and Canada's private radio broadcasters. For more information, visit factor.ca and find out how you can fund your next music-related project.